What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Before today's episode, I wanted to leave a brief note for you, the listener. We understand that no one listens to Final Force on the schedule for non-sports-related news. We certainly don't intend to change that focus, and we will forever be committed to MSU basketball and its news, recruiting, and game analysis. However, it will also not be appropriate to ignore what happened on MSU's campus Monday, February 13, 2023, as it impacts every Spartan's life, including those of its athletics. Rod and I were recording back-to-back episodes Monday night of our Minnesota preview and this AMA session before the shooting had transpired on MSU's campus. Obviously, by now all of you are aware that the Minnesota game was canceled, and as of this recording, it's unknown what the plans are to make up the game. We are deeply saddened by the events on Monday night and the loss of life. The trauma and disruption to students and faculty and families is real and in many ways hard to comprehend. The evil and selfish act that occurred further proves that this is truly broken and often senseless world. I can speak firsthand what it is like to experience sudden loss as my family lost our 14-year-old son, Andy, four and a half years ago in a car accident to a distracted driver. Grief is not easy, but it is human. At this point, I would say that whatever emotion you feel, even if it's many at once, is normal. Anger, sadness fear, frustration, helplessness, they're all normal. They can change from day to day, hour to hour, and minute to minute. For those experiencing intense emotions from the shootings, I encourage you to deal with them in whatever way works best for you. Maybe it's crying, talking to others like friends or counselors, or spending time alone in your thoughts doing something like walking, running, chopping wood, or whatever can bring you peace. I'd only suggest that you deal with it and not try to suppress it. I've done all those things in dealing with the loss of my Andy. The pain is there, but letting the emotions come and acknowledging them is healing. The key is recognizing that there is not one way to reach the healing. Everyone moves at their own pace and path, and is almost never linear. Perhaps more important is to allow others grace in their healing with support but an understanding that they may deal with it differently than you and in a timeline different than yours. Sports are certainly not the most important thing in the world. There are many things that matter more as the events on campus proves. However, sports, much like music, dancing, fellowship, and worship, are part of the human condition and add to the richness that is life. Surely we can live without them, but they make for a more full life and often provide a distraction from the difficulties we face. Also, sports bring people together in community, which is critical in times like these. People who would otherwise not come together do so for sports and arts and allows us to express our humanity and why life is so worth living. So we're releasing this episode with the understanding that it may not be what you need at this time. But maybe it is. Listen on your own time and in whatever way works best for you. Hopefully, this provides a little bit of healing or distraction that you need in your personal grief journey. This message was from Rod and me. Peace be with you, and go green. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our second Ask Me Anything AMA show. Because you guys are so awesome, and you do so much to support the show, we're going to give back a little bit and give you extra content because, you know, that's what we do. So I guess we'll begin with just questions. Now, we had a lot of questions, and so I just want to be, be upfront that we didn't get through, we're not going to get through all of them. We're going to try, we want to try to make this a manageable show for both us and then for you listening. So we got to a lot of them. If you, we have another, we'll have another AMA at some point. If you want your question, please feel free to submit it again, and we'll try and get to that. All right. So we'll begin with Patrick Binienda. 
How do you determine if a team is at its peak? Stats or the ever-elusive eye test? Well, I, I think that, and I think this is true in every sport. You know, there's there obviously, especially over the last, say, 20 years or so, aided in large part, I think, by the development of social media and the ease with which you can share this stuff now. So it doesn't require you going out and buying, say, um, if he was still doing it, the Bill James handbook for those who are my age, you know, really revolutionized um, analytical analysis of sport in baseball, in that case, in the 70s and 80s. Um, but you can get all this information now at the tip of your finger. Um, I think that there's a perception from some people that it's all about statistical analysis. And I've never believed that's true. And I think the smartest people that I've ever heard talk about these things in any sport would never say, yeah, it's, it's solely about what the numbers are telling you there for starters, this is, these are games played by human beings and basketball is no different. Right. So right. if you want to try to tell me that, uh, say a coach having a, his finger on the pulse of his team, psychologically, for example, especially when you're talking about college teams, so it's young people. If you want to try to tell me that that doesn't matter, I think you're insane. I think you can also, you know, all, we've been talking a lot over the last few days about Ohio state as an example of this, of, of a team where what your eyes are telling you and not just your eyes, but the win loss record is telling you was not lining up with what the various metric systems will call them, you know, Ken Palm, uh, net Bart Torvik right. system on and on and on. And we're all, by the way, consistently viewing Ohio State as still being a very good team. Now, their, their blowout loss to MSU at home on Sunday has finally started to knock at least a little bit more reality into how they're viewed. I believe in Ken Palm, they sunk all the way to 50. They need to sink a little more <laughs> to line yeah. up with what I'm seeing. But nevertheless, it's progress. Um so that's an example, right? If you're paying attention and you're watching Big Ten basketball regularly, not just that even, but also looking at the standings, those two things would be telling you, gosh, I, I don't think Ohio's very good right now. And I think now we, we have pretty solid evidence that they, in fact, are not very good right now. When they go out, and this is not to denigrate Michigan state at all, but I think we would all agree that Michigan state is not a powerhouse by any stretch this year. No, they're, they're a good solid team with the potential to get better, but for them to go in anybody's gym, beat them by 20 plus probably says something about the team playing at home to, <laughs> you know, to some extent, right. As opposed oh, yeah. to just being, yeah, Michigan State played reasonably well, especially on the defensive end, but it also said something about Ohio State. Uh, but I think another example of this phenomenon, I saw people yesterday leading into the game getting tied up in knots over the fact <laughs> that Las Vegas yeah. had Ohio State as a slight favorite, like three, three and a half points. What happened? You know, I think it's Las Vegas <laughs> uses systems to at least to establish their line. And then, of course, it gets impacted by the money that comes in on either side. But they use systems that are roughly attempting to do the same things that Ken Palm, Torvik, et cetera, do. So it's not surprising. They're all seeing the same thing. But anybody who was looking at that game with the experience of watching these teams play would have at the very least, I think thought, well, I don't think you'd make Ohio state a favorite. They could win, but you wouldn't, you would probably, I, that's how I felt. 
I felt like this was the game that Michigan State had the best chance to get of their remaining road games, which, by the way, includes a visit to Nebraska. I really felt <laughs> right. that way. Yeah. And yeah. that's how it that's how it played out. So this is a long winded way of attempting to answer the question. I don't think it's either or I think it's both statistical analysis tells us a ton and it can it can illuminate for us. I think things that the eye test at just watching allows you to miss. Certainly reasons, explanations for what you're seeing. Absolutely. Too, right? And and explanations for why the things you're seeing are what you're seeing. And then also sometimes illuminate some things that maybe you haven't noticed that are mm-hmm. laid bare in the numbers. But it, but on the other hand, I think just sticking to that, say, well, I don't know. Ken Palm says Ohio State's three points better than MSU. I figure Ohio State's going to win. I, I don't think it's. I think that's so simplistic and it's, it's not getting you to good analysis. It's a totality of things. And this is true. You know, people talk about this in scouting, scouting baseball players, for example, that at at one point it became this, the math guys, the nerds versus the old (laughs) pro scouts, you know, the guys with a wad of chewing tobacco, the, the size of a, <laughs> a fist in their mouth, in their mouth. And that it was this war between these two sides of it. I think anybody I've ever heard who struck me as smart says it's both. You right. need, you need to, you certainly need to have a very solidly grounded way of evaluating a player based on what the numbers are telling you about them, but you also need to see it. You need to see it. You need to watch it. You need to feel it. And it's true in all these sports. So I think it's both. You know, a guy can throw a hundred or he can't throw a hundred, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But then, yeah. Can he throw over the plate or not? Uh, so next question from Patrick Levy, all time Izzo era players slash roster. Now this is kind of a, this is a tricky one because it, you could say, well, you have to you know, to actually develop a roster, you know, players one through five, or just see your favorite. Let's do it. Let's do it that way. Let's do it. You know, with a guard, two wings, a power forward and a center. Do you want to go first or. Yeah. I didn't actually plan this that well in advance. Cause it's funny. I was looking at these players. I'm like, Oh, this, and then I realized, Oh, these are not actually all players that played for Izzo. So, I mean, you got to have Cleves there as your point guard. I don't think mean, is that's Oof, a no-brainer, okay. right. Well, for Izzo, it's you gonna go with Cassius Winston. It's a, I, I think here's because he can score better than shoot better than Cleves. Here's the problem. Yeah, offensive. Look, offensively, Cassius is clearly the better choice, right? That's not yeah. even a debate. Um, as a playmaker, pretty close. Cassius, you know, Michigan State's got the top two assist guys in Big Ten history. It's these two guys, so <laughs> yeah, right. it's very close there defensively no question mo cleaves all day mm-hmm. leadership mateen is along with magic and scott skiles they are the triumvirate of the best leaders i've ever seen at michigan state but i think cassius made because he wasn't demonstrative doesn't get credit he look that that team that went to the final four his junior year with all the injuries, having lost the guys they lost from the year before. And to do that, you can't tell me that Cassius Winston wasn't a key guy in keeping that thing together. He did it differently, but I think he was effective. The, the problem is this. The tiebreaker probably has to be the national championship. Sure. Yeah. Right. And he never had a chance to do that one That's year. It. Which, who That's knows? the shame of it is that you – and. Look, we've had years where I felt Michigan State was 2016, where I felt like they were ready to go and they were everybody's hot pick to win the whole thing. And then they fell flat on their face. So there's no guarantee MSU would have done it. But boy, it was feeling that way. It was feeling like they had a real shot. And there was there was no other monster out there that you say, well, they got to they got to go past 1990 UNLV. There wasn't anybody like that (laughs) in that field. So that's the, um, that's the hard part about it. I I'm with you on Cleves, but it is closer. It's not a no brainer for me. Sure. Yeah. But I, I, but I do go with Cleves. All right. So who do you have as your number two? 
Uh, probably. Bum, bum, bum. I mean, I'm so I, I mean, I lean towards Bryn Forbes, but you know, I'm probably going to go Charlie Bell. Okay. I'm probably going to go Charlie Bell because Charlie Bell did as much winning as anybody ever has at Michigan state. Mm -hmm. He never played a year where he didn't win a big 10 championship. He played his last three years. He spent in the final four. He won a national title. That's pretty good. And he did it in a variety of roles early on. It was primarily a defender and a rebounder and then occasional scoring punch. And then as he progressed, which is ironic because God, he may still be the all-time leading high school scorer in the state, but he was a phenomenal offensive player in high school at Flint Southwestern. So it was a shock to me to see him as a freshman and say, well, this guy really is only scoring okay, but my God, he's hellacious <laughs> on the defensive end and he's rebounding the out of everything from the wing. So, <laughs> but his, as his career progressed, he showed you difference. You know, he ended up playing some point guard. Um, he became a better, more reliable shooter. He was great in transition. I mean, he's one of the guys that helped establish the template for how you play the wing at Michigan State, both ends. Uh, he's got to be the choice as a pure two guard. I mean, look, there are other great players. Shannon Brown, Mo Ager, yeah. those guys would be in the conversation for sure. Um, you know, I guess as I think about it, Bryn Forbes, uh, Denzel Valentine is actually probably. Uh, would he be your two? I guess he could well, be. Well, or your three. He's in the mix at either wing position. But, you know, yeah. there, the point is there are other guys who get into this conversation, but I probably lean with Charlie Bell just because of the totality of what he was and the winning they did. And it was not an accident. Yeah. So for your three, uh, boy, I tell you, the guy I love watching is Morris two, Peterson. Three guys. <laughs> three guys, in my opinion. Morris Peterson is one. And. You can say a lot of the same things that I just got done saying about Charlie Bell. He was a true triple impact player. He was a great defender. He was a very good rebounder for a wing. And boy, could he shoot the ball. And he was, and he was effective as a scorer, three-level guy. Um, hard to not pick him. Jason Richardson. I think what hurts Jay Rich is he only had one year where he was a focal point. You know, he was on right, that yeah, championship he, team and he was great as a freshman, but he was in a reserve role. His sophomore year, he stepped up and was phenomenal, but he had the best NBA career out of any of mm -hmm. these three guys we're mentioning. But at MSU, I think you put him maybe a half step behind. Sure. Yeah, and then, and then I think Denzel and Denzel had the highest peak of any of these guys, because as a senior, you know, he was a national player of the year candidate. He was right there with buddy healed at, at Oklahoma and just a phenomenal season. You look at his career numbers, man, and they are impressive. He was a phenomenal passer. We all know that he developed into a tremendous shooter. Uh, he was always a great rebounder. He was a triple double threat at all times. The one thing is compared to the other two guys, Denzel got to be functional defensively, but he never, he never got beyond that. Whereas Mo Pete and Jay rich were both lockdown defenders. So I don't know. I think it's a really tough call. Um, it depends what you do. You value consistency of a career. And of course, winning a national championship, which puts Mo Pete there. Do you value the peak more, which would give it to Denzel? Um, I don't think you could go wrong either way. I'd probably go with Pete, but I could be talked into Denzel. <laughs> and so the fourth spot, I, I mean, Draymond Green comes to mind. I can't think of anyone yeah. else you'd pick it's a spot. Him. I think it's kind of a no brainer. <laughs> it's him. I mean, look, they've had. They've had some really good fours, but but for the most part, the four position at MSU has been staffed by more by guys I would say were unsung hero types than stars. You think about AJ Granger, right? Yeah. Um, Adam Ballinger, 
Um, you know, uh, Goran Sutan played the four for a while. I mean, he was a five when they went to the front to the national championship game, but you know, he played some four. Uh, so it's a lot of guys like that. Um, I would say the only other competitor for Draymond might be Adrian Payne. Um, cause AP, you look yep. at what he did those last two years statistically, and it's something else. I mean, he really had strong, strong, a strong close an upperclassman portion of his career. But obviously, I'm not going to go against Draymond. He's the guy. No. And he made everyone better. I mean, the one thing. Absolutely. He, I mean, right. I mean, he the just most, made the team so much better. The most complete guy. Um, you know, yeah. he and Denzel, I, and I would give him the edge because he was better defensively than Denzel. So to me, he's the most complete player of the era for he Michigan had a pretty State. Decent pre, uh, pro career as well. So I think they were good. good. Pretty good. <laughs> a little above average. Uh, so finally the five position. Again, not, not Jaron Jackson. Is he, was he a five or is he a four? He was a five, but I, I don't. I don't put him in the conversation. I mean, he had a yeah. great freshman year, but he, to me, he's he not again one year, right? No, I mean, you could, yeah, do much. you could maybe try to argue for putting pain as a five rather than a four. I would argue against that because for most of his career, he kind of played alongside Derek mix, you know? Yeah. So I, I consider AP a four more than a five. Um, you start with Andre Hudson. Talk about an underappreciated guy. Again, winning, 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 and just solid as a rock. One of the best defensive centers they've ever had. Um, a better offensive player than he gets credit for being. I, in fact, I remember him moaning the whole four years he was there that they never got him the ball enough. All right, so we start with him. Zach Randolph, only one year. And That's for the thing, yeah. Great as he was. He wasn't the focal point to put up huge numbers, but you could see the mm -hmm. talent. Yeah. Paul Davis, big numbers, bigger than you may realize if you look over his career. Um, this was a guy who was a true offensive weapon. He got better defensively, and he was always an effective rebounder. Um, I'm surprised he didn't have a better pro career, to be honest, because I truly thought he had the tools to be a longer term pro than he was. Uh, and then of more recent vintage, I would say, and you could throw Nick Ward in there. I, I think Nick's defensive struggles and kind yeah. of the way his career closed hurts him, but Nick Ward was very productive. But the other guy I really think belongs to that mix is Xavier Tillman because yeah, right. yeah, Xavier Tillman is there with anybody at the post position defensively for Michigan state. He was a, an elite screen setter. He and Cassius Winston were tremendous as a pick and roll combination. Um, you know, the only thing he, he got better is a, away from the rim as a mid range shooter. And he could even occasionally hit a three, like the yep. one weakness is he was never really a great post player on offense, but I, I'm going to go with Paul Davis because I think the career numbers are just too much to overlook. But I would not, I would not have a problem with anybody saying, "Hey, if I'm trying to win a game, I want Hudson or Tillman." Yep, and that's kind of where I would, where I would land with one of those two guys, because um, I think they just made it their, they made their teammates so much better, and just you know better. They did, yeah. The other thing about choosing Andre Hudson is now you're talking four guys from the 2000 team. <laughs> I mean, they were great. They were great. Well, that's considering how many other guys in this program have been part of final fours, yeah. that might be a little bit of an overload. Yeah. So. I think that team was pretty good though. I think they, they, did they some, were pretty they did good some things yeah. that year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So before we go on, I just want to, you know, the reason we're doing this AMA session is because of the great supporters like you, if you want to support the show, you can go into Patreon and you can join members like Jason Yeager, Brian O'Donnell, Chad Hickey at the Mateen Cleves level or Michael Bosnick, Jim L., Dan Rankin, Adam Walzak, Doug Robinson, or James Benton at the Draymond Green level. Uh, we also have plenty of supporters at the Scott Skiles level. Thank you so much, guys, for all you do. You can find all that at tffinots.com slash support. You can find ways to support either through one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo or through Patreon. All right, so the next question is Patrick Levy. 
all-time UM villain now that Dickinson seems to be rising in his in his trash talk. I'll, so the one leave thing that I would to you I'll, first. Yeah. You okay. Go first. Yeah. So first, I want to say as much as Hunter Dickinson drives me a little bit crazy, he it, it he is not he doesn't bother me that much because he's just kind of pathetic. I do you, I mean I just don't he doesn't back it up I guess enough and he's not. So he's kind of annoying and just you kind of laugh at him. He's sort of more clownish than he is actually like a villain villain. So he doesn't bother me that much. I, you know, going back way back is Antoine Joubert, sort of like the classic Michigan, you know, all sort of all talk. That's it. Um, you're stealing my but, thunder. Yeah, but I'm going to, but ahead. I'm actually not going to go with him because I know that's who you're going to go with. So I'm going to go with Jalen Rose who drove me insane yep. uh, during the, the, the fab five. And Good so it, he'd be my guy. Cause he was the instigator of that team. I mean, I think he was, the one who bothered me the most of the Fab Five, more than Jawan Howard, more than, um, more than Chris Weber, and the other guys, uh, even like uh, was it Jackson? He he was he uh, he talked a little bit, but he also wasn't able to back it up as much. So Jalen Rose is definitely the guy I would say is my villain. He's he's the reason I really really hated Michigan because that was my senior year in high school when he, the Fab Five hit the scene. That's a that's a really good choice. Uh, you can't you can't go wrong. Uh, the only thing that, and I hate this, um, the thing that mitigates it for me now is that Jalen Rose is such a huge Detroit guy that I, I find myself as time goes on, not being able to maintain quite the level of hatred that I once I had yeah, for him. But when he yeah. was there, oh yeah, yeah, he <laughs> was everything wrong for sure. Um, Jobert is my obvious. I talk about it enough. I mean, and some of it is also when these guys hit you. So Jobert was there while I was in high school. And I think his senior year was my freshman year in college, but mostly when I was in high school and the hype around him, you know what I would compare it to? It was, I would say I've seen three guys hyped beyond all belief when they were in high school. Sense magic. Jobert, Chris Weber, who came relatively close to living up to it. Yep. And Imani Bates. Those those are the three guys that I would put in that category. And you know, Imani, it remains to be seen where his career goes, but um, he's at least probably gonna have a chance to play in the NBA. Whereas Jobert never really did that. I'm I'm not sure if he got a cup of coffee at some point, but I don't think he I don't think he had any pro career. Um, he was just uh, the obnoxiousness was just so palpable, and it was it was this period of time where, you know, it's one thing you could cite guys of more recent vintage like Dickinson, uh, like Mo Wagner, um, where they're demonstrative. And that bugs you, but this was a different thing. There yeah. was this, this sense of, uh, imperiousness, which was largely unearned by the way, but that's never stopped. Them. Um, that's <laughs> what really would drive you crazy. It wasn't, it wasn't that Jobert was ranting and raving about Michigan state. It was that in his interview, he was just very matter of fact, like, yeah, you know, we let that one get away, but we're, we're going to take care of them in the next one. We'll, we'll take them out, you know, but it was said with such a, a casualness to it, that it was enraging. And, yeah. and, and then to see him get just put in his place by Scott Skiles, just so thoroughly and relentlessly, you, you couldn't ask for more. And, so whatever your thoughts are about the current state of the rivalry and all, and all of that, you have to understand that 1986 for, for those listeners who maybe weren't around for it, it was in a very different place. And so it felt bigger and he felt like a bigger asshole and, and his whole thing, man, with, I I've told this story when he was at Detroit Southwestern, he played a state tournament game at my high school. And of course we all went to see him because in those days, you know, you hadn't seen him play all you, yeah. all you read were the Detroit newspapers talking about him being the next magic. So this is a state quarterfinal game. I'm excited to see him. And he comes in, you had to be there, you know, sellout games. So you had to be there early 
And we saw them come in off the bus to walk into the locker room. And he's in a, he's got a Prince style. And I mean, Prince circa 1981, 82, a Prince style, Jerry curl. And he's got a full length fur coat. He's a high school senior. (laughs) And it just, and the way he played in that game, he, it seemed like he jacked 40 shots. Didn't hit a lot of them. He shot a terrible percentage. They won because they had overwhelming talent, but he wasn't great. I just remember walking away from it thinking that's the next magic. And sure enough, his career did not come close to matching it, but it was his whole act, you know, that he was already as a high school senior, he was royalty. It was just hard to take. So he's always going to be number one for me. Jalen Rose, a really good choice. I agree with that. Um, I guess if I think about it, you know, the, even though John Beeline was a great, a a guy who's a great coach. And obviously I could say that now and, and his, (laughs) and his demeanor was one that you, you really couldn't get upset with him very much, you know, uh, a real rarity for a Michigan head coach, but he did have some guys that were obnoxious. I didn't like Darius Morris his act. He was only there briefly, but he had an incident in 2011. I didn't like, um, I mentioned Mo Wagner. I had a hard time with that character, but yeah, it's all, it's always going to be the judge for me, man. And, and, a, and an honorable mention in the coaching category, Johnny Orr, who was the head coach when I first started paying attention was when he was in Ann Arbor was a world-class capital A. asshole. He was the worst. <laughs> Um, when he moved on to Iowa state, I grew to appreciate him a little bit more. And he actually was a funny guy, but he didn't strike the young version of me as funny at all. When he was at Michigan, he was a Jack. It's really tough to try and describe this to people who are probably under less than 35 or 40, even what the situation was in the state of Michigan in the eighties and nineties because or early nineties, because, you know, Michigan was a, a hugely dominant football program for for right. as long as we were young, right? And yep. and there was an absolute arrogance and there in basketball for Michigan State, yeah, they had the tur- the NCAA tournament in victory in 79, but they really were like you had mentioned before, like NCAA tournament twice in the 80s. They weren't like some, you know, powerhouse or anything like that. So it was it was really hard. I mean, it was hard to get uh it was hard to take, I guess for the arrogance of the Michigan fans and and that was, and that's why, like, I talked to my kids and like, they don't even know what I think I'm just like from outer space because they're like, well, Michigan State's better than, you know, in football and basketball. Like, yeah, it wasn't always that way. So it's hard. Right. To right. Well, the just for people who are too young to, to know, you know, the, the capper was in, I believe it was magic sophomore year it was whatever year it was that they split and Michigan actually won the game with no time on the clock, with free throws, with zero, zero on the clock, if you can believe that. Um, Keith Smith was the guy who hit him to win the game at Jenison. And Orr goes running off the floor, blowing kisses to the crowd. <laughs> I want you to imagine a head coach doing that right now. Just try to picture it. I mean, now, the other side of it is, imagine a coach in 1977 trying to slap or punch a coach of the opposing team in the handshake line. (laughs) So it's not that things were, are much better now than they were then. They're just different, but just different that, that kind of moment. That's what I'm saying. Like to watch that, it just, it made your blood boil. I wanted to kill. I was like nine years old or 10 years old. I wanted to kill him. I wait, if somebody had come out with a machete and taken his head off, I would have applauded. All right. So the next question is from Jerry. AJ's freshman year, it really looked like at the end of the season, he would never pan out. I know it was just a year, but at the time, the feeling was that he needed to move on. At least that is how I felt. Uh, He still has room for improvement. But from where he he was to where he is now is pretty incredible. Question. Has AJ had the biggest turnaround in an MSU career from thinking this player would not make it to being a good player? You're happy he's on the team to, I guess you'd almost say, a, a really good player. Are there any others that who compare? Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, you might have an argument in terms of where their perception was after the end of their first year. 
And yeah. I'm trying to think about who would have been, who else would have been in that category. Um, there are a number of big men who just were, you know, like this guy's terrible. What's he well, ever going to okay. do? I mean, you make right? a good one. But who- Gor- Goran Sutan, as a redshirt freshman, you know, his career kind of started off blowing a, a layup uh, that would have beaten Gonzaga when they had Adam Morrison. If people remember that game where it was a Mo Ager, Adam Morrison shootout, and Goran had a huge opportunity as a freshman just blew a layup wide open um, and struggled the rest of that year. Nobody would have at that point, I think projected him as a senior to be the most outstanding player of an NCAA regional yet. He was. So you're right about big men. That's one. And then other guys certainly started their careers off slowly and built, but at that late stage, and this is why I'm, delineating between between the two um there were guys um i will give you one prime example for me <laughs> i i am embarrassed to admit it but i'm gonna say it was draymond green i didn't understand the draymond green offer because i then and he is responsible as much as anybody else for changing this mode of thought, not just in me, but in the world at the time I thought, okay, he's been a great high school player. Saginaw's won everything. He's been there, but where can he play? What position is <laughs> yeah. he? Cause he wasn't a good shooter at that point. He was way overweight. So it didn't look like he could defend anybody. And yet, you know, he was only six, six. So he can't, you can't play him at the five. Where's he going to play? Well, I, little did I know Draymond Green was going <laughs> to say, Hey, positions screw that. Uh, but by the end of his freshman year, it was obvious that he was going to be good. I don't know that anybody expected him to get to national player of the year level. Good, which he was as a senior, but it was obvious that he was going to be good. Right. Um, I loved Xavier Tillman as a recruit, but a lot of people did. A lot of people questioned whether he had the stuff to be a big 10 player. I did not, but I will say this when he came in his freshman year, I thought they might redshirt him because they were so deep everywhere. But then in the post, especially remember they had, not only did they have Nick Ward back, you had miles who could play some four you had Jaron Jackson coming in. Oh, and then you've got Gavin showing and Ben Carter coming back from injury. So how the hell is X going to get any minutes? Well, again, by the end of that freshman year, it was obvious Xavier Tillman's going to be a player. You know, I don't know that anybody thought NBA player, but you knew as a freshman, um, the one, the one guy that comes to mind, but it, it is different is Drew Neitzel. Drew Neitzel, if you remember, got inserted into the starting lineup for MSU as a freshman and was kind of just a glue guy. He was there to help initiate offense, but he rarely shot. He just kind of held, and yet he wasn't a dynamic point guard either, like we're used to seeing at MSU. Um, But I remember there was a very well-publicized uh, statement early that year, MSU, if you remember that MSU team who got to the final four lost to George Washington in the non-conference. And it was, I think it was at a tournament and Gary Williams, the coach at Maryland was there and Gary Williams made some comment to a reporter. Somehow it got out that he had said something after watching Michigan state that, yeah, that's why you don't recruit point guards like that. Something like that. (laughs) And then, of course, Drew Deitzel becomes a great player as a junior and a senior, especially as a junior, where he just carried MSU offensively. So that was one where there was a lot of growth. But I think people probably felt a little bit better about Drew than they did about AJ after their freshman years. I still think even there. So it's a, it's a really good question because I hadn't considered it. And the, the listener has a point. Yep. Maybe, maybe it is now AJ's not done. So we're going to hope we've got the rest of this year and another year to take that even further, but a lot of growth. Yeah. 
I'll mention a, an honorable mention. I think Travis Trice would be one who he uh, really wasn't anything as a freshman. Not that I think people wanted him off the team. He was faced some injuries. He really didn't do anything until he became a senior. And then he was just like lights out. He was so good his senior year. Uh, but again, I don't think people expected him to leave the team or anything like that. Uh, so I think that I think Lister's right. I think, you know, I think Jerry, I think you're right. I think AJ is probably as far as we can tell is probably he's up there. Aware, certainly he's got, as, as I say, ones. it, it kind of depends how you define it because there were certainly guys that I questioned at least one about as much when they were recruited. Um, but after the freshman- year of playing, yeah, yeah, not that changes it. Yeah. All right. So I want to remind you another way to support the show is to go to nudge printing, nudgeprinting.com. It's run by MSU alums, Gabe and Brittany, all Michigan based Michigan apparel. You can go to nudgeprinting.com. You can get 20% off your order. Really great apparel. They've got decals for cornhole for your, for your computer, for your car, and not just Michigan state, other Michigan schools, uh, except Ann Arbor, the one in Ann Arbor. So if you're Alma, you're, you know, divided, house divided, you got someone who went to Northwood or Northern Michigan or Western and central. It's a great way to get gear for both of you guys. And, uh, especially, uh, we want to get this stuff before summer comes up. So it's a great opportunity. Make sure you can get, you go to the checkout and type in final four at the, for a coupon code to get 20% off your order. If you order stuff for through our website, or if you get to the collection of Tiff Knots collection, you can, anything you buy, the, the t-shirts, the hoodies, all the proceeds for those go towards our show. It's another way of wearing cool gear, comfortable, and also supports the show. So check it out at nudgeprinting.com. All right. So the next question is from Hazel Motes, uh, who does a great contributor to us on our, um, on our forum. And if you, if you want to, it's free, our forum. So come on over to tiffknots.com slash forum. You can interact with us and post questions to other Spartan fans. So his question is, what MSU players deserve consideration for being all conference? And I assume that means this year. Uh, I don't think anybody is going to be a first team selection. Right. And I assume so we it's a first team that. selection, right? Yeah. 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 We take that off the table. There's just, they don't have anybody who's doing the job statistically at that level. And Michigan state as a team had had enough success to override that. So take that off the table. I think there are three guys who would have a chance at some level, be that second team, third team, honorable mention. Uh, and I think all three will probably get some level, assuming Michigan state, you know, doesn't completely on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Joey Hauser, Tyson For Walker sure. and AJ Hogart. Those are the three and, and picking between them as to which has the best chance or to finish the high on the highest level of, uh, accolade is, yeah, I, I day to day, right? Probably, but day to day, my take changes. You know, yeah. if if AJ Hogard has a huge kick to the close here, maybe he's the guy. Tyson Walker could go on a run. You know, it's I think right now you would say Joey has probably put together the best season, but it's not it's not by such a margin that I think it's obvious. Yeah, and the other question would be: Is there anyone in the all defensive team? I mean, this is. A- you know, the number two defense in the big 10 right now, but I don't feel like there's an individual defender that you're like, Oh, this guy is a, like a lockdown Walker. guy, right? Wa- Walker, I mean, th- Walker, but would he be Aikens, as a guard? I don't know. Walker and Aikens would be the two guys that, um, I think would have a chance. Um, yeah. and I would expect Walker to end up there on the first team, all defense squad. I, for sure. Um, you know, what's interesting is that last year, the big 10 actually did designate a guy like Caleb McConnell as a defensive player of the year, which was impressive because he's not a big man. You know, a lot of times that kind of designation goes to a guy who just blocks a lot of shots. So not even necessarily a truly good defensive player. Uh, and Caleb McConnell will get steals, but he's not a gambler. Mm-hmm. He's just a really solid defensive player. And I feel like that designation definitely fits Tyson Walker. I think it fits. I think it fits Aikens. And I think you could even truthfully, if I were evaluating it based on what I actually think they are as defenders, I'd go four deep for Michigan state as guys would have a chance. Walker, Aikens, Hogard, and Hall are all very good defensive players to me. I would think if assuming Michigan state again, doesn't completely 
fall off the face of the earth defensively in these last uh, six games, I would guess they're going to have at least one guy on the all defensive team. I don't see how you could at this point. And Ty- Tyson Walker's just, I mean, if you look at the job he's done over the course of the year, he's just been rock solid. Like even, you know, guys like AJ and Jaden have been really good, but they've had their moments where it's felt like they've slipped a little bit. I don't ever recall feeling that way about Tyson this year. No, I, I think totally he's been agree. locked in the whole time. Boy, how far has have things progressed for AJ that you actually consider it to be like all defensive? Because I know after his freshman year, he thought he couldn't do anything. Right. And he's look, he's proven it. He started to prove it last year. I mean, don't yeah, for, yeah, I, no, I don't I forget yeah. that game against uh, Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. But, you know, AJ has moments where he fogs out. You know, they were getting back cut. Yeah. Uh, you know, but by and large, is he a plus defender? Yes, I would say so. So speaking of Purdue, Hazel Moat's next question is, besides Purdue, do you see any team in the conference as being clearly better than Michigan State? Um, <laughs> I suppose this is where the, the question is, in neutral court, this team beats you, you know, eight times out of ten or something. No, like you're clearly no, better, no, right? no, no, nobody at that level. No. Uh, look, if you want to go player for player in terms of quote unquote talent, which is a word. I've come to hate over the years because usually what it means is some combination of athleticism and ability to shoot usually, which doesn't can often equate to production on the court, but doesn't necessarily not always. Uh, If it did, Wisconsin would not have had the last quarter century they've had, for example. Yeah. Um, Look, the two obvious teams that come to mind would be Illinois and Indiana. Yeah, sure. And I think if someone wants to say, well, I think the ceiling of those teams is higher. I wouldn't argue with it because I think that's probably true, but that doesn't necessarily mean a hell of a lot because it's nothing's determined by, well, what's your ultimate level best potential. It's what are you doing? What can you actually do on the court when the lights come on? You know, I don't care if you have the potential to be great. It's, are you great (laughs) at a certain point? You know, potential, potential was nice in the off season, but it doesn't win you any games. So that doesn't mean very much to me. Uh, I think that I do not think that either of those teams would beat Michigan state eight out of 10 times on a neutral floor. I'm not sure that either one of them would beat Michigan state six times. It might be split. Uh, those would be the two most obvious candidates, but no, I do not believe there's anybody even close. And, and then with Purdue, Hey, you know, where, where, where are we with Purdue right now? Because Michigan state had Purdue at home and yeah, they got beat at Mackey, but that, you know, that, that happens on a neutral floor. I'm not saying I want a shot at Purdue, <laughs> but because uh, I, I really don't like watching Zach Eady play. I think it's no fault of his. It's just I don't it's not aesthetically pleasing basketball to me. But uh, and I've talked about that here before, but uh, I also wouldn't fear it. I wouldn't be terrified by it. I think Michigan State, especially healthy, would have a chance, you know, sure. so even Purdue. Yeah. I, I think what's what's happened with Purdue in the last week or so, we finally got some games that ended up in the L column that could have come weeks earlier and just didn't. Which we and we've talked about this a lot, right? That yep, it's uh, the does it prove that you got something special because you're able to win close games, or is it just fluky, and eventually it evens out? Well, we might be seeing some evening out going on. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Purdue closes because uh, it's not over yet. They've still got, they've still got, I, I still think they're winning the big 10, but you know, they got to go, they got to go to uh college park to play Maryland where they've been. Maryland's been very good at home this year. That's going to be a very interesting game. Fascinating from a matchup perspective. And then, they they play Indiana at Mackey, but that's a rivalry game. You don't know. Yeah. So um, 
it feels like they're, it feels like they're that aura of invincibility is dissipating and it feels like there are a few other teams and you could make a case that Michigan state might be among them that are starting to build some momentum. So maybe that gap's narrowing, I guess is yeah. my point. Sure. Right. All right. So the next question also from Hazel Motes, I haven't given up hope for Pierre, but I wonder would Iowa have been a better fit for him? And I can answer this question. Yes and no. <laughs> so I think his strengths would be, uh, would be more evident in the, his shooting and he would have a lot more latitude for his uh, weakness in, on That's defense. It. But for Pierre, what would be better for him? I don't think, you know, it always depends. What do you want to do with your career? Do you want to just have a score a lot of points in a, as a college player or do you want to move to the next level? I think for Pierre, and you've mentioned this many times, I think he has, there's certainly potential there to be more than just a guy who can shoot. Uh, and so I think he's got to work on developing that and forcing him to focus on those things because he wouldn't have to at Iowa as much. Uh, so I don't know. I, I also, th- I also wonder too about the shape he's in, which is not fantastic. He might struggle a little bit at Iowa running up and down the court as much as they do in playing a full court press. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how much he got on the floor anyway. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Look, I, you can maybe make a case that, well, look, going to Iowa and becoming a 20-point-a-night scorer, it doesn't matter if you're not required to play defense because somebody's going to take a chance on you if you prove you can put the ball in the basket. Okay, maybe, although, you know, I don't I don't think that's really borne out by by the evidence, but I, I, I get the argument at least. But if what you're interested in and anybody should be interested in becoming a truly versatile, good basketball player, which means you rebound, you defend, you pass, and you score. You should want to be at a place, in my opinion, at least, and I'll admit I'm biased, but I, I don't think this is a crazy thought. You should want to be at a place <laughs> where you're going to be held accountable to do exactly that to develop your weaknesses, to become a well-rounded player. That's why to use another guy as an example, I don't think Jackson Kohler could have made a better decision than the one he made to come to Michigan State. He's another guy. I don't, I don't know if Pierre was actually recruited by Iowa. I don't know that he was, but Jackson Kohler was. And I think they were considered a possible landing spot until MSU got involved. Would, would he have been better off at Iowa? I don't think so. Because we are already seeing Jackson Kohler starting to make some strides defensively. And I think he'll continue to make more. That's the best thing for him. Going someplace where all they wanted was for him to score, but they're not going to ask him to do anything defensively. How is that his best interest as a basketball player? I just don't see it. So um, the same things apply to Pierre. I think he made the right decision in that sense. And I'm encouraged by what we've seen the last two or three games from him that he is starting to show signs of uh, of getting it. He's not nearly where he needs to be. But if by the end of the season, we look back and say, hey, he strung together seven, eight, nine games there at the end where he was guarding pretty well, that's going to be real progress. And I don't care, you know, the three point shooting, because that's going to be there eventually, whatever slump he's going through now, that doesn't worry me. Yeah, but defense that looks good. Yeah. 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 All right. So we'll take another brief break just to mention that brothers that just do gutters, you know, if you need gutter work and you live in the West Michigan region that goes all the way from Saugatuck up to Muskegon, over to Grand Rapids, Lowell, Rockford. If you're around that area, you definitely want to make sure to have your gutters taken care of because bad gutters lead to bad problems, your foundation, problems with the siding, problems aesthetically, problems with leaves. If you need your gutters cleaned out, you need them installed, need them repaired. The brothers who just do gutters do quality work. Uh, They're not sort of fly-by-night operation some guy like leaves a flyer in your mailbox saying hey i do gutters and other kinds of things these guys that's all they do they do a very good job kurt Soffer and his team will take good care of you and if you reach out to them and mention final four in your uh, email they'll give you 10 percent off your estimate uh, you can reach kurt at k-u-r-t.s-t-a-u-f-f-e-r at brothersgutters.com that's kurt Soffer at brothersgutters.com you can 
find that link to uh, his email and to the website. You can learn a little bit more about Kurt and why he is doing what he's doing with the gutters on our website or on your podcast player in the notes. Um, we'll take a brief little break for an ad from our sponsor and we'll be right back. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, the next question is from Hazel Motes. Since Holloman and Fears are likely going to be MSU's only point guards in 2024, will Izzo be looking for a third? And uh, I guess that they are always they're always recruiting lots. Of, I mean, I know the one that comes yes. to mind is Daryl Fat Fat Brooks, right? Out yep. of, uh, he's Rapids one. Area. He's one, and Jace Richardson would be another one in the in the 24 class. So, yeah, it's it's a possibility. Whether they land either of those guys, I think is up in the air right now. Um, but they are recruiting two of them who could play at that position. And yeah, it, it's, it seems pretty clear now that Izzo is not going to, he's going to do everything he can to avoid getting caught in the situation he was in 2020 where he just right. did. Now he didn't, you know, he didn't know that that was going to be the case, but just the way it played out that they didn't really have a good option there. Um, he's going to do everything he can to prevent that from ever happening again. So, um, that's where, that's where it's at. Uh, but yeah, where, where they go. I mean, obviously there's time for them to get involved with other guys. You know, they could do that this spring or this summer at that position. If they decided to, you could also, of course, always go into the portal, although, you yeah. know, for a point guard, that's not really. And, and again, you're, you're thinking that would be a team with a junior year Holloman and a sophomore year fears. Uh, there probably wouldn't be a role yeah. for an experienced transfer, right? Right. Because so you would ideally want somebody younger who you could sell on developing for a year or two. Uh, but it remains to be seen. I would imagine they'll, it will not be surprising if they look to add one in that class though. And finally, uh, Keith Johnson asks, I'm constantly arguing on Twitter. Okay. I'm going to stop right there. Keith, you need a new hobby. <laughs> you shouldn't be arguing on Twitter. So, so, uh, I'm constantly arguing on Twitter with the Tom should have gone to the portal crowd. Can you give me some more good points to use as the Tom should have gotten a five man opinion or, uh, we, as when Malik Hall is injured, Tom should have had two or three guys. He got out of the vending machine, you know, wings just in case, uh, <laughs> What do you, what do you say to these people? I mean, besides what things we've mentioned before, what can we, what can, how can we help Keith? Real life is not a video game and give them any one of a number of press conference transcripts where Tom Izzo has spoken to this. It's, it's a dumb, it's a dumb talking point. It's I, I but there are so many of these it's the portal is there because it happens to be the topic du jour. Right. And for the simple minded, it sounds like an obvious, easy answer to all that ails you. Um, yeah. You know, in other years, I remember for three years plus. There was a, a constant debate over why Michigan State did not elect to accept a commitment from a kid named Dominic James, who put up some good offensive numbers at Marquette in favor of Travis Walton, who couldn't shoot. Well, Travis Walton ended up captaining a team that got to a national championship game. That's why. 
but it yeah. went on and on and on. And there have been so many count the Tum Tum Nairn saga over four years of people just not accepting it. There was a reason Izzo recruited him. There was a reason he played an important role for the, for that team for four years. Uh, you know, I, the, the, the short answer to it is a lot of people are stupid and you shouldn't waste your time with them. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, that's, I, I, that's totally true, right? People don't I know. Just, at a certain point, if somebody doesn't accept the reality in front of them, like, however you want it, it's not going to go another way. Tom Izzo's made it clear. He does not want a program with a revolving door. He doesn't, he doesn't want to play video game. He doesn't, he wants to develop players over time. That's what he wants to do because it's been effective for him over a quarter century. And he doesn't believe whether you do or not, doesn't matter since he's the one in charge. He doesn't believe that there's a reason to deviate from that, that that is what has been successful and will continue to be successful. And if you don't like it, I guess I'd stop watching because it's not changing <laughs> for as long as he's here. Just stop watching. And I think it's in many ways unfair, right? It's This is not a guy who's never had a transfer. I mean, there are two transfers on the team right now. It's not, he's just judicious in getting transfers. He's Correct. not getting like 10 guys, right? I mean, that's, I don't, I, I'm not quite sure what people want. They want to use all the scholarship positions. Maybe, that's, but, the, that's, but the problem is, is how do you really do that and have minutes that you divide a bunch of guys? Cause no one's going to want to come to school and just sit on the bench. Right. I mean, maybe Nick Sanders is the right? portal is a two way street. So yes, you can bring guys in immediately and have them immediately eligible. But the flip side of that is if a guy who's already on your team sees you bring someone in and doesn't like it, thinks that it's going to cut into their minutes, they can leave. And then are you better off? So some of this stuff comes down to the culture that you establish. It's the way you go about doing business. And it's, it's what you think is going to produce the best results. And if Tom Mizzo hasn't earned the benefit of the doubt by now on knowing how to assemble a roster that works for him and produces results, I don't know who has. So, but, but again, cry, cry about it, moan, bitch about it as much as you want. He's not going to do it any differently. He's told you this explicitly various times over the course of this season. It's not going to change. Doesn't mean they won't add a guy here and there. You're right about that. But yeah. this, this wholesale, you know, I, it's not going to happen. Filling 13 scholarships, probably not going to happen. The, the one exception to that would be, you know, there, there might be a possibility, say, next year where and I'm not saying I believe this is happening, but I can't rule it out yet that some guys who have extra eligibility might decide to come back, you know, and play another year. That's possible. Um, but that's going to be off the table too. Once the COVID year exception is worked through the system. But you know, to that point, there are, uh, you almost want to have extra flexibility with your, with your roster in some ways and not using all your scholarships so you can get people who decide to come back or decide you thought was going to go to the NBA and they decide not to, or uh, there's a lot more, there's just a lot more things in flux. And I don't know, I guess I'm, I, I'm especially irritated by the five thing because I don't look out there and say, well, yeah, someone there was Zach Randolph was in the portal. I mean, there's no one who's like an obvious number five that you would take. I think if Trace Jackson Davis entered the portal, I don't think there's any hesitation. Is it would have had of going after him? Right. And there's, and there's a, yeah, there's, there's a, um, there's an inability on a lot of people's parts of understanding what it is that Izzo values in a five. So, and also where they are in their career status. So it's one thing to take Jackson Kohler and say, okay, he's a freshman. He's got some great offensive tools, got a long way to go defensively, but he's a freshman. We're going to work with him. We're going to develop him and we're going to get him better over time. It's another thing to take a senior who will not have the time to make that up and say, well, I, right. I'm going to accept this for a year again, not the way he goes about things. There's also 
a focus for some fairly obvious reasons uh, to focus on scoring and rebounding numbers to the exclusion of what that player might be able to do defensively. And by defense, I don't just mean blocking shots. Um, so that is a part of this whole deal that gets lost a lot. Yeah. I look, if there, if there's one thing I have faith in overall, it's that Tom Izzo knows a hell of a lot better than I do what he's got and what he wants to add, what's out there and available for him, you know, and I'll, I think he's earned some deference on that. I'll say it that way. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, well, I think that we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for the AMA session. I appreciate all the questions guys. It was a great discussion. Uh, we'll probably do this again at some point. I'm not sure when it's <laughs> busy schedule, uh, but Coming up next will be the Michigan preview as Michigan State heads into Chrysler Arena. So until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.